Everybody say praise God. All right. How many of you love the Word of God? Are you ready to get into the book of Genesis tonight? We're going to talk about Isaac. Isaac, the favored son. Isaac, the favored son. What I want to do is I want to backtrack just a little bit. And, and while, you're, um, while you're turning to Genesis chapter 12, I want to read first couple of verses of Genesis 12 because it all begins here with Abram. Genesis 12, it all begins here. It says, The Lord had said to Abram, this is the beginning of Genesis 3.15 being fulfilled. Get out of your country, from your family, from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. What do we call that right there? The what covenant? Abrahamic, come on, come on, students, the Abrahamic covenant. Let's stand up together and we're going to pray over this. And This is good stuff. Lord, we just thank you for the word. Now, Lord, we need to understand our Bibles. We need to understand our roots. We need to understand how all of this called Christianity happened. Quicken us tonight, Lord. Give us understanding. Speak to us. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let me just, I'm going to backtrack just a little bit to last week and quickly. I, I want to bring out this one verse that's right at the top Genesis 3.15, the first prophecy of the coming Messiah, Jesus Christ, because Genesis 3.15 leads to Genesis 12. When God says, let's read it together, can we? And I will put enmity between you and the woman. And between your seed and her seed, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Who is God talking to right there? Talking to the devil. He's talking to Satan, Lucifer, talking to the devil. And here's what he's saying to him. The woman's seed, one is going to come forth from the woman's seed who is going to be your destruction. He's going to bruise your head. That's talking about a death blow. And you're going to bruise his heel. And that's talking about the crucifixion, amazingly. Now, talked about that a lot last week. Notice the capitalized seed. When seed is capitalized, as in Genesis 3.15, it's singular, referring to one individual, Christ. God told Adam, he, seed, the man Christ Jesus, or actually he told the devil, shall bruise your head. In Genesis chapter 21, in dispute with Sarah over Ishmael, God spoke to Abraham and said, Whatever Sarah has said to you, listen to her voice. For in Isaac, your seed shall be called. Who will, in who, in who? In Isaac, your seed shall be called. In the above verse, seed is not capitalized because it's referring to many people. To all the recipients of salvation by faith. Now Paul came along and wrote further in Galatians. Quote, Now to Abraham and his seed. Notice, capital S, and I've emboldened it myself, singular, the man Christ Jesus. So now to Abraham and his seed, Jesus Christ, were the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds, as of many, those of us who have been saved by faith, but as of one, 
and to your seed, who is Christ. So we saw last time that the Abrahamic covenant that we just read was made to two individuals. Who, everybody? Say it with me. Abraham. Y'all had too much turkey. You're still asleep. Let's try it again. Who to? Abraham and Christ. So Genesis 12, 1, the first few verses are to Abraham and to Jesus Christ. Christ was the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham that through him all the families of the earth would be blessed. So Paul writes, Just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. Now let me ask you a question. If you went to Israel today, primarily comprised of Jewish people, would all of those Jewish people be sons of Abraham, sons and daughters of Abraham, according to the word? Maybe in the natural, but not according to Scripture. Now, guess what? You, not being Jewish, yet having put faith in Christ, are considered a son of Abraham or a daughter. You were grafted in. We were saved by faith, not by works. Amen? So when, when was Abraham declared righteous by faith? Here's when it happened. Genesis 15, 5. Then he brought him outside and said, Look now toward heaven and count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And what does it say about Abraham? And he believed in the Lord and he accounted it to him for righteousness. At that moment, When he didn't just believe in the Lord, he believed the Lord. And folks, i got to tell you something. So much of our walk comes down to that. You know, you can walk around all day long saying, I believe uh, in the Lord. And you do, no doubt. And I had a lot of that fade on me, did I? I don't know what happened. Well, well, we're just going to move on. Please don't let this be bad. That's okay. Okay, now, when Abraham looked up and said, I believe God, I believe that my descendants, and he didn't have one son, one child, he said, I believe that my descendants are going to be as many as the stars in heaven. I believe God. God said, righteous. He said, you are righteous. Why? Did he do anything? No. He believed God. Now, that's what it comes down to. You can say, I believe there's a God out there. There had to be. I'm not, a, I'm not a, for instance, an evolutionist. I believe God created the world. But that doesn't get you saved. Because God says, here's what gets you saved. If you believe me about my son. If you believe my testimony about Jesus. And if you say, I believe that. Righteous. That's how Abraham was declared righteous, and that's how we're declared righteous. So when we are declared righteous by believing God, we're a son of Abraham, a daughter of Abraham, because that's exactly how he was declared righteous. And you know, folks, that's why I get concerned. There is such a battle out there right now to remove Christ from Christmas, to remove Christ from the culture, to water him down, to say, you know, there's many different ways to be saved. You know how dangerous that is? Because if you don't 
accept the testimony of God about his son, you're not declared righteous. Say, well, that's so narrow. Yep. Jesus said the way is narrow. It is straightened. It is restricted. But it leads to life. So these people are out there saying, well, you know, I just believe you can believe in Muhammad or you can believe in Buddha or you can hug a tree or you can just be a good person, never get a traffic ticket and believe in yourself and you're going to go to heaven. No, no, no. God said to Abraham, you see all those stars? That's how your descendants are going to be. There was not a son yet born to him. He said, I believe you, righteous. Now God comes along and says, God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And when you believe that, righteous, saved, and he sends his spirit into you, and your nature is changed, and you become born again. You do not become born again believing in Muhammad. You do not become born again believing in Buddha. You do not become born again by never getting a traffic ticket. You become born again only by believing God's testimony about his son. That's why, man, churches all over America need to rise up and say enough of this foolishness. Uh, We're going to put Christ in Christmas. We're going to have Christmas all year long. We're never going to quit preaching Jesus. He is the only way. I'm not ashamed to say it. And it's not my words, but it's his testimony about himself. And God testified to all of us about his son when he raised him from the dead. So that's how you're saved. And that's how Abraham was saved. He believed God. Now we're going to talk a little bit about Isaac tonight. Well, a lot about Isaac tonight. Remember, Isaac, when Isaac was born, that was the beginning of Jesus Christ. Because Isaac was the awaited seed. And when the child of promise was born, the lineage of Christ began. So Isaac was important for that reason. But let's look at Isaac some tonight. Now, I'm going to read a little bit, but this is, we need to understand uh, Isaac. The main events in Isaac's life are but repetitions of what Abraham experienced. But the things that the great patriarch did, even the things which were wrong, were done on a grand scale. Isaac's accomplishments in life, on the other hand, were insignificant. Let's look at the contrast between the two. We're going to contrast Abraham and Isaac a little bit tonight and just take a look at them. Isaac's beginnings are commendable. He married the woman God intended for him, although she was unable to conceive. Shades of Abraham. But Isaac prayed that God would open Rebekah's womb, and as he had done for his father before him, God answered his prayers. Something about her pregnancy troubled Rebekah, and she made inquiry of the Lord. She learned of the kind of children she would bear. And surprisingly, and this is important, God spoke to Rebekah and said, Contrary to custom, the younger twin is going to be the greater. The last one to be born is going to be greater than the first one to be born. And that was totally contrary to culture and custom. God is the only one who can break a law. Amen? That upon him, the promise of God would be bestowed. So it was clearly understood by Isaac and Rebekah, when those kiddos are born... The first one to be born is not going to receive the covenant blessing. It's going to be the second one. God clearly spoke to them. That's important. 
Here again we find similarities between this couple's story and that of Isaac's parents. God told Abraham that his covenant would be with Isaac, not Ishmael. Abraham asked God earnestly that it would be otherwise. Quote, and Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. But God replied, No. I will establish my covenant with Isaac for an everlasting covenant and with his descendants after him. Ishmael was the work of the flesh. Ishmael was um, their attempt to make the will of God come to pass. Ishmael was Abraham and Sarah's attempt to take God's will and make it happen before God's timing arrived. And you know what? Most of us have an Ishmael somewhere in our life. It's when you just say, you know, I just can't wait on God anymore. You know, I'm just going to take matters into my own hands. And we birth an Ishmael. And how many of you have ever at least thought in your heart, oh, that this Ishmael would live? could just be blessed by God. I'm so sick of this waiting. I'm so sick of this trial. I'm so sick of this test. Can't you just let, it's a good idea. Can't you just let Ishmael live? How many have ever prayed it? Come on. You got in the flesh and said, okay, here it is. Wow, what a great idea this was. God says, no. How many ways do I need to say the word no? No because this was not my will. And it's hard. I'm going to tell you something. I believe that it broke Abraham's heart when he had to say goodbye to Ishmael and Hagar. Because watch what happened. Ishmael grew up. Ishmael was about 12, 13, 14 years old before Isaac was born. And the Bible says, as Isaac, the child of promise, who was destined to receive the covenant, When he got a little bit older, Sarah looked out the window of the house one day and there was Ishmael mocking Isaac. And she basically said to herself, you know what, I can take a lot of things, but when I see my boy being mocked, made fun of, and put on like this, that other one's got to go. And folks, let me tell you something. There's a principle here. When you've got an Ishmael in your life, the work of the flesh, your own good idea, Ishmael will always mock Isaac. The work of the flesh will always mock the work of the Spirit in your life. And that's why there's going to come a day when the Spirit of God is going to be in Sarah's place and the Spirit of God is going to say to you and me, Ishmael has got to go. Because Isaac can't grow up in peace. Isaac can't flourish. Isaac cannot be everything I want him to be as long as he's being mocked by Ishmael. So Ishmael's got to go. And this is where so much of our laying down of ourselves and of our own will comes into play. It's when the Holy Spirit in Sarah's place says, get rid of that Ishmael. Lay it down. Let it go. I'll take care of it, but you need to let it go. I believe Abraham, by now being a normal father, was very attached to that boy. And you can't tell me he wasn't attached to a level to Hagar. She bore his child. So when he said to both of them, you're going to have to hit the trail, I guarantee you there was an ache in Abraham. And there is always an ache 
and there's always a pain when we have to say to our Ishmaels, you got to go. Because Isaac's got to flourish. The word has got to flourish. The will of God has got to come to pass. The fruit of the Spirit's got to come out in my life. I've got to walk in peace. I can't do this anymore. Are y'all hearing me tonight? This is real. See, sometimes we just, we idolize and and we, we put these patriarchs on a pedestal. They were just like you and me. It's tough letting go of an Ishmael. But boy, I'll tell you what, there are times that you've got to. It'll hurt for a while. And then peace will enter into your heart and you'll experience a whole new freedom in God and you'll realize that Ishmael was dragging you down. It was dragging you down. So God says, no, no to Ishmael. I will establish my covenant with Isaac for an everlasting covenant and with his descendants after him. Abraham and Sarah were not fearful but incredulous when the Lord spoke to them about the child they would have. The combination of God's words and human emotions have certain similarities during the pregnancy of each couple. It was, I believe God, but wow, how can this be? Isaac's hopeful beginning soon gave way to a life that suffers in comparison to that of his father. In Genesis 26, we have the account of how Isaac interacted with the world he lived in. While in Genesis 27, we see how he performed as leader of his own home. Abraham had a powerful impact on his world, and he was a very successful family man, although he was not without some failures. But what kind of influence did Isaac, his son, have and heir have on both of these settings? Chapter 26 sets out two events which occurred during the time when Isaac was sojourning among the people of Philistia, a Gentile people among whom Abraham also lived for a period. Abimelech, the king of the Philistines, the king over those people, may very well have been the same man with whom his father Abraham had dealings earlier, or he may have been the king's son and been named after him. But let's look at it. The two incidents that occur during Isaac's journeying among them are, first, he deceived them with regard to his wife, and secondly, an argument about water wells. Similar events, of course, occurred with Abraham earlier. Now let's look at that for a minute. He, too, lied about his wife on two occasions, claiming she was his sister. Everybody say, he did it twice. The father of our faith lied. Say, he lied. Twice. Watch this now. He lied about his wife on two occasions, said she was his sister. And Abraham also had a dispute over wells and land, once with his nephew Lot and once with certain herdsmen in Philistia. We could say that Isaac is replaying his father's history. Now I want you to say something with me tonight. I will battle the demons my father didn't defeat. You will. Boy, is it replicated in this family. You talk about a soap opera in this family. There's quite a difference in the outcome of these apparently similar events in the lives of Abraham and Isaac. Abimelech had been told that Sarah, Abraham's wife, was actually a single woman. So he felt quite justified in taking her for himself. Let's look at the outcome of Abraham's lie. Now you remember, as they were approaching Egypt, Abraham said, you're a good-looking woman. You're so good-looking, you're going to get me in trouble. So dear... Can you just help me lie a little bit? 
and I'm going to say, you're my sister. Now, how would that make you feel, ladies? Here he is, and the king comes up, and Abraham, and he says, oh, well, who are you? Well, I'm Abraham, and who is this with you? This is my sis. Say hi, sis. And you're his wife. It doesn't say that she said a word. You know what I was thinking? Or I think she was thinking? Lord, kill him. Because he's lying about me. Abimelech hears it, and inside he says to himself, hot dog. She's not married. I've got a harem. This is the way it was back then. Beautiful woman, and he took her. Now look what the Bible says. But God came to Abimelech in a dream of the night and said to him, Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is married. How many of you could say you'd wake up and do something right about then? (laughs) You're a dead man. Now, Abimelech had come near her, but he had not had intimacy with her. And it says, he said, Lord, will you slay a nation even though blameless? Did not he himself say to me, she's my sister? And she herself said, well, she did lie. Yeah, there's my brother, Abe. There's Abe. Say hi, bro. They both lied. Now look, in the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I have done this. Was he right? Yeah, they both lied to him. The man of God and his wife lied to him. Now watch this. Then God said to him in the dream, yes, I know the integrity of your heart you have done this, and I also kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now, therefore, restore the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you will live. But if you do not restore her, know that you are going to die, you and all who are yours. Now, how many of you would want somebody laying hands on you and praying that you would not die who had just lied to your face? Now, I want you to notice something. God, being God, didn't look at Abraham as a liar. He looked at him in the light of his calling, not his mistakes. And he said, he's a prophet. Oh, you mean a prophet, a declarer of truth? Because that's what it means? Yeah, he's a declarer of truth. But he lied. God says, I forgive. I don't even see it, don't even know it. I'll tell you who he is to me. He's a prophet. That's powerful stuff. Thinking only of himself, Abraham selfishly lied and thereby set in motion a process which placed Sarah and by extension the promise itself in acute danger. Now I want you all to notice something here. We've looked at this real, real hard the last few weeks. Why was it, why did God get so stirred about this and actually go to the man in his dreams and say, I'm, I'm going to kill you if you touch her? Because Abraham wasn't just lying. Abraham was jeopardizing Genesis 3.15. Because he's the man of God that God has called out of Ur of the Chaldees to be the beginning of the working out of the entrance of the Messiah into the world. And if Sarah had been defiled by a foreign king, it would have ruined Genesis 3.15. So God even went to a pagan king who didn't even believe in him and stopped him from touching her. That's powerful. 
so often when you're tempted, you have no idea, you see the tip of the iceberg, you don't know what Satan, the enormity of what he's out to destroy. You just see the temptation and you think, well, you know, it's not really that big a deal. You, you're not thinking like the devil. The devil was thinking with Abraham, I want to stop Genesis 3.15. I'm going to stop the Messiah. It wasn't just a little lie. I'm going to stop the Messiah. Always keep in mind, he's got more in mind than you know when he tempts you. Now, then we see that uh, Abraham prayed for him. And Abraham is restored with God and he's given great influence in Philistia. As a matter of fact, his, his influence just grew where he made his mistake. Now, when Isaac sins in the same way as his father, there's a very different result. Here's the son doing the same thing as the dad. Same thing. You talk about family replication. It came about when Isaac had been there for a long time, long enough to know that a lie was no longer necessary, that Abimelech, here comes Abimelech again, king of the Philistines. I'll tell you, that boy, he got around, didn't he? Now, king of the Philistines looked out through a window and saw, and behold, Isaac was caressing his wife, Rebekah. Then Abimelech called Isaac and said, Behold, that's your wife. How did you tell me she's my sister? Isaac said to him, Because I said, lest I die on account of her. And Abimelech said, what is this that you have done to us? One of the people might easily have lain with your wife, and you would have brought guilt on us. So Abimelech called all the people, saying, He who touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. Now I want you to notice something. How different are the results of these two incidents? Isaac's and Abraham's. Abimelech humbled himself in front of Abraham, beseeching him, even before Abraham's own restoration, if he would pray for him and his people. But Isaac, he bawls out, calling attention to shameful cowardice. Isaac and Rebecca, if you will pardon me, bring to mind a couple of ninth graders making out in the parking lot of the school dance. Caught in the act by Abimelech. They must endure a lecture from him about their deception. He, an outsider, an unbeliever, upbraids Isaac, the promised son, for his foolishness. Can you imagine an unbeliever having to upbraid the child of promise and teach him? Isaac lacks stature and he lacks weight. Far from being a great leader, he has to be led and taught by an unbeliever. The rest of chapter 26 tells the story of an argument about wealth. Now look at this. Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. And the Lord blessed him. And the man became rich and continued to grow richer until he became very wealthy. For he had possession of flocks, herds, and a great household. So that the Philistines did what, everybody? Envied him. Now all the wells which his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham his father, the Philistines stopped up by filling them with dirt. Then Abimelech said to Isaac, Get away from us. You are too powerful for us. And Isaac departed from there and camped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. He dug again the wells of water which had been dug in the days of his father Abraham. For the Philistines had stopped them up after the death of Abraham. And he gave them the very names which his father had given them. But when Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found there a well of flowing water, here comes the herdsman of Gerar again, quarreled with the herdsman of Isaac. The water is ours. No, the water is ours. No, it's ours. So he named the well Essek because they contended with him. Then they dug another well and they quarreled over that too. So he named it Sitna and he moved away from there and dug another well. Finally, they did not quarrel over it. So he named it Rehoboth. For he said, at last the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. 
Say with me, when God blesses you, somebody wants it. You know that's true? When God blesses you, somebody wants it. He who can't is always looking to get he who can. Finally, they got a well that nobody quarreled over. Now watch this. When Abraham and Lot occupied the same territory and the herdsmen of each of these families quarreled, Abraham said they had to separate. Then in a magnificent act of faith, Abraham allowed Lot first choice of the land before them thereby demonstrating his trust in the Lord to give him what was best for him. There follows the account, not only of Lot's failure in Sodom, but of God's blessing Abraham for his righteous decision. In Genesis 21, then, there is the history or the story of the quarrel between Abraham's herdsmen and those of the Philistines. Once again, the role is over water and pasture. On this occasion, Abraham and Abimelech on the patriarch's initiative, sit down together, and they solve the problem. Both men make a covenant, witnessed by God, and they agree to get along with each other. Because Abraham took the initiative on this occasion and trusted God for the results, God was honored with the outcome, so much so the Philistines saw God in the matter. Now here's what we're saying. Abraham was very different from Isaac. When Abraham was quarreling over these wells, he finally called the king and said, you're messing me around with these wells. We need to talk. And he faced him. And he confronted him. And he brought him to a place of peace to the point that the king was willing to pray with him and receive a blessing from him. That's the difference. When Abraham and Lot were traveling through the land and they both increased, Abraham said to Lot, here's how much I trust God. You pick whatever land you want, and whatever you take, I'll take what's left. Abraham was the one called, not Lot. Abraham was the older, not Lot. Abraham was the one receiving the covenant and the blessings, not Lot. But he looks at Lot and says, whatever you want, you can have it, and I'll take the rest. Because I believe in the providence and the sovereignty of God. I believe that whatever you choose... He's going to be in it, and he's going to bless me anyway. I'm going to tell you something, folks. You know what Abraham teaches us? Keep a loose grip on the things of this world. Just keep a loose grip. So Lot, Lot looked out there, and he said, look at all that lush, beautiful land surrounding Sodom and Gomorrah. I want that. Abraham said, take it. Lot headed off with the finest land originally In the beginning, the finest land available, and Abraham was living in the hills. But time showed that God was with Abraham, Abraham. and Lot, being gracious, or should have been gracious, and said, I'll tell you what, you take that land and give me the worst, because I'm not the leader you are. I'm not the blessed one you are. But he didn't. And he followed the way of the world. And you know what I read today? In Genesis 20, his record is so abysmal His life ends, the Genesis account of him ends with his two daughters pregnant by him when he was under the influence of wine and we know nothing more about him. He's been delivered from Sodom and Gomorrah when the fire fell and we know nothing more about him after that. He fades into obscurity. 
But Abraham, we all know, he trusted God. And he kept a loose grip on the things of this world. Let me tell you something, folks. When God's favor is on you, nobody can stop the blessing. Nobody can stop it. Nobody can undo it. Isaac's actions, on the other hand, were not essentially evil, but they were insignificant by comparison. I keep wanting to use the word wimp to describe Isaac. I'm sorry, but I do. But I dare not. One day I'll meet him, and I certainly don't want to slander him. But in his case, when an argument about wells comes up, he just moves on to the next well, avoiding conflict. He repeats this action later. There's no sense of questioning what God was saying through the circumstances he was facing. No meeting with Abimelech, nothing. He just keeps going till he finds a place where at last God makes room for him. That's how he solves the problem at hand. It is not an unrighteous solution, but neither is it a solution through which Isaac becomes a blessing to the Philistines. Isaac merely took the path of least resistance, accepted the wealth that God gave him, moved all the way back to Beersheba, and not one time did he mention the Lord. So we find Isaac repeating some facets of his father's history, but very reduced. Now I want to just stop a minute and ask some questions about what we have learned. What kind of influence did Isaac have in the world? When you see him going place to place in his travels, do you see him touching people for God like Abraham did? Uh-uh. He, he just doesn't do it. What kind of, did he display God's character? Is God passive like Isaac? Do you just let people take things and, and, and do you just kind of uh, wimp out in life and, and if the enemy steals something from you, you just let him have it and you just move on and no muss, no fuss and I'm not a fighter, I'm not a contester, I just, I don't get into the ring. Let me tell you something, folks. People like Isaac in our day, we don't need them. Now, Isaac was the child of promise, but character-wise, he didn't do much at all to touch his world for God. Was he a truth-teller, bringing righteousness to bear and creating a hunger among people for God? The record does not show that he was any of these things. He accepted a great inheritance, knowledge of God, and wealth from his father, and he squandered most of it on himself. He did not do much wrong, but it's true to say that he didn't do much of anything. Abraham made his home all the way across the map of the Near East, from Mesopotamia to Canaan to Egypt, Syria, and back. But Isaac lived 180 years in the confines of a small radius, sort of a we four and no more. Ishmael had 12 sons. Isaac had two. He lived in his own small world, comforted by the riches his father had given him, but not doing much with them. Abraham fought kings, saved the innocent. He worshipped in public in front of Melchizedek. He interceded for Sodom. He saved Lot twice. He prayed for and led Abimelech in a solemn covenant before God. He lived a life of constant reaching out to others, praying for them, comforting them, being God's man in his generation. But Isaac, by comparison, spent his days walking away from trouble, keeping his thoughts to himself, avoiding strife at all costs, apparently unable to offer blessing to others. He was a passive. Now let me ask you a question. Who do you resemble, Abraham or Isaac, in your Christian walk? What kind of influence do you have in the world? Are you a blessing? Do you pray with effectiveness? Do you speak in such a way that others feel a hunger to seek God? Do you care for their physical needs? And do you find that they rejoice that their spirits are ministered to also? How many of you want our church to be an Abraham church and not an Isaac church? 
aren't in our nation full of Isaac churches? You don't even know they're there. I want to roar for God. Let's just wrap it up now. If you're being blessed tonight, say amen. All right. Now it came about when Isaac was old and his eyes were too dim to see that he called his older son Esau and said to him, my son, and he said to him, here I am. And Isaac said, behold, now I'm old and I do not know the day of my death. Now then, please take your gear, your quiver and your bow, go out to the field and hunt game for me and prepare a savory dish for me such as I love and bring it to me that I may eat so that my soul may bless you before I die. Now remember, he had been told by God, Esau is not the one to receive the blessing. So what's he doing? He's going directly against the will of God. All right. And Rebekah was listening while Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game to bring home, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, Behold, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau, saying, Bring me some game, prepare a savory dish for me, that I may eat and bless you in the presence of the Lord before my death. Now therefore, my son, listen to me as I command you. Go now to the flock, bring me two choice kids from there, that I may prepare them as a savory dish for your father, such as he loves. Then you shall bring it to your father, that he may eat, so he may bless you before his death. Isn't this sad? She's having to manipulate to obey the will of God because her husband won't lead her in the will of God. What a terrible account of lies and deception. Isaac intended to disobey the intention of the Lord and secretly give the family blessing to Esau. But Rebekah and Jacob intervened with lies to deprive him of it. Esau was an outdoors type of type and Isaac liked that kind of man. Furthermore, Esau liked to eat and so did his father. So both of them cooked up a deal whereby Esau would get his father's blessing. Then along comes the other pair in this story, Rebecca and Jacob, and they add their embarrassing contribution to this sorry tale. Contrast that kind of leadership in the home with that displayed by Abraham during his life. Do you remember how carefully Abraham said about the process of choosing a wife for Isaac? How cautiously he planned for the chosen son's future? But Isaac did not emulate his father's careful planning for his own sons. Esau married two Canaanite women with no word of instruction or concern from his father. Isaac took lightly his responsibility when his turn came, failing to seek the mind of the Lord. I'll tell you something, dads. There is a blessing that can come only from you to your children. And here we're seeing Abraham, who was a man of God and also a man of God to his children, we're seeing Isaac who really wimped out of the whole deal and left his family in a terrible quandary because he's about to bless somebody who wasn't even in the will of God that God spoke way back when they were born he seemed unconcerned about the next uh, generation and God's purpose for his family line again we see Isaac's habit of taking the easy way out smoothing things over not making any waves His leadership in the home suffered as a result. His wife was forced to take on more than she should, and Isaac watched passively as his leadership role was usurped. The final recorded word regarding Isaac comes in Genesis 28, and then we're going to close. Jacob is running for his life after they have deceived, fearing his brother Esau. At last, Isaac realizes that uh, that, uh, Isaac is the one whom God chose for the blessing. Or Jacob, rather. So Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and charged him finally and said to him, You shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. Arise, go to Padanaram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, 
and from there take to yourself a wife from the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. And may God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may become a company of peoples. May he also give you the blessing of Abraham to you and to your descendants with you, that you may possess the land of your sojournings, which God gave to Abraham. Then Isaac sent Jacob away, and he went to uh, Laban, son of Bethuel, the Syrian, the brother of Rebekah, the mother of Jacob and Esau. And that's the first time you see Isaac being a man of God. At last, Isaac realizes the call of God upon him. From his heart, he blesses Jacob, the son who should have been blessed from the first. This blessing is more spiritually discerning than the one given in, uh, given in Genesis 27. Its focus is God's word to Abraham. Thus does Isaac pass from the pages of Scripture. The man God jo- chose to become obedient. Abraham's son eventually came to have the same faith as Abraham. Amen. So Isaac now fades into the history of Scripture. Our point tonight is simply this. Abraham was a man of God and made his faith known everywhere that he went. Isaac was the opposite. When I read about the two, I don't want to go along just to get along. I don't want to be quiet. I don't want to be unnoticed. I want to spread my faith like Abraham and leave the footprint of faith on my generation. Amen? So we can either be passive like Isaac or bold like Abraham. Now, next week, Lord willing, I'm going to talk about, I I really feel like I need to talk about Sodom and Gomorrah and what happened, the fiery judgment that fell on that city, and then we're going to move on to Joseph and finish. So let's stand tonight, can we? Amen. Father, we just thank you that we see two different types of men here, even though both of them were hugely called. We see that Abraham left a huge footprint of faith. And Isaac barely left anything at all. Lord, help this church to be an Abraham church. And help us to leave a message of faith to this generation. Lord, I pray this with all of my heart. Don't let us be like Isaac who realized what his call was at the very end of his days when his eyes were dim. But help us to know our call now that we can utilize it while we still have strength and time. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, God bless all of you. It's good to have you tonight, and we'll see you Sunday. And we're going to be talking about the Christ of Christmas. Bring somebody who needs the Lord. And we've got goodies out there for everybody. Go out there and fellowship with one another. And we'll see you next Sunday.